0: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this webinar. The title of it is Engaging the Culture, Bringing Jesus to the World. My name is Rick Thomas. I'm so thankful that you are here. There are two options for benefiting from this webinar. One is you can listen to it by audio, and I know many of you are doing that, and I thank God for you. You're on the go. You have busy lives, and we're glad that we can bring our webinars to you in an audio format, and so I thank you for listening by audio. And then there are others who are actually watching the keynote presentation, and I want you to know that those that are listening to the podcast, uh, that you can watch this full presentation in a video keynote presentation. And and the reason I'm saying that is because there are animations here and there's notes here. And so if you have time, jump over to our ministry's website. You can go to our webinar page, and you can see uh, not just this webinar, but you can see all of them. They are free to you. Our resources are brought to you by those who financially underwrite our ministry. We are a 501c3. Folks donate to our ministry, which allows us to give our resources away. It is a phenomenal thing, and I thank God for the folks who support so that you can benefit either by listening to the podcast or watching the key. Note presentation also if you have any questions about this webinar we have free community forums Uh, we are a dialogue christian ministry and we want to dialogue with you and so if you have questions about engaging the culture bringing jesus to the world please take advantage of our free community forums and our team would be more than happy uh, to talk to you now maybe you have something else on your mind it doesn't matter Whatever it is, Uh, what's important to you is important to us. And so if you have a question pertaining to life and godliness, if there is a relational struggle in your life, a, a personal issue, a situational difficulty, Please let us know. We would love to give you some guidance, and you can do that by jumping on our free community forums. Okay, this webinar, Engaging the Culture, Bringing Jesus to the World, the big idea is that there is a full-on culture war as social evangelists try to persuade, intimidate, censor, Influence anyone to their worldview. They want you to come over to their side. They want you to embrace their presupposition, how they view life. They want you to submit to their authority, born out of their presupposition, their worldview, and they are intense, they're aggressive about that. They do not believe in our worldview. They do not believe in our authority, God, and God's word, and so they are evangelizing, drawing our children away, drawing many people to their faith, which is not our faith, and it is no longer acceptable for conservatives to sit on the sidelines, siloing, hoping for a better day. Silo-Christianity is when believers draw lines that separate themselves from those in the culture who need the gospel. They critique the culture, these silo-Christians do. They critique the other side, but they do not engage. Jesus has called us to go and make disciples. This is not a new mandate for our postmodern culture. This is a 2,000-year-old mandate. We call it the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. It used to be that they left us alone and we left them alone, and the temptation was to drift off into a pass passivity, cocooning ourselves, because they weren't bothering us, and we can lose our evangelistic edge. Well, they have... They have really fortified themselves and they have been very proactive and very intentional with their evangelistic age edge, rather, and they refuse to leave us alone. And that's why I'm doing this webinar. I am not calling you to be harsh, to be unkind in any way. We want to be gracious. We want to function from a heart of humility. But we also want to be intentional and aggressive in communicating our worldview, our perspective, our authority, because we know that we have the answers that flow right out of God's Word. And if we evangelize and evangelize well, maybe God would draw some people to Himself and they can gain this perspective and not only create a better life for themselves on earth, but also they have a better answer for eternity. So there is a battle over worldviews, which authority is going to win, and I'm appealing to all of us, including myself, that we engage the culture, that we bring the fame of Jesus to those who need him the most. The outline for this webinar is three points, quite simply, number one, becoming like them, number two, who has authority, and then number three, tips for engagement. At the back end of this webinar, I want to give you 10 tips, practical ideas as you engage the culture. Let me take point number one, becoming like them. And I, I'm, I'm giving this point because some people believe that there should be a hard dichotomy between us and them. And that if I cross that line, I am going to become like them. Now, it is possible, I do want to be honest here, it is possible that you can become like them, but we don't have the option, or we can't take the option just to stay on our side. We have to engage. And so we want to engage the culture recognizing that there are temptations, and we want to learn how to guard against those temptations. You see, Jesus entered the world. He was our first missionary. He came from his place to our place. He took on flesh. He hung out with sinners. He hung out with the culture. He had the culture washing his feet. He was eating with the culture. He was curing the culture, he was bringing the gospel to the culture, he was winning a few out of the culture. And of course, there were some of them that really hated him and a subset of that group plotted to kill him and they succeeded. And so the journey of Christ, we see it in all of its greatness and all of its horrificness, and we have to follow him and we have to carry our cross we cannot sit on the sidelines and so we want to enter the world but don't become like the world now that brings up a point that i want to make and i want to carefully work through this because we have to understand this idea of worldliness What is worldliness? Because there are some people who believe in that dichotomy, that worldliness exists exclusively on the other side of the line, and it is just not true. Primarily, worldliness exists in our hearts. The point of departure for worldliness is in our hearts not in the world, but some people are beholding to a Gnostic view of worldliness where the world is bad and and we are not. Well, when John talked about the world, he said this in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. He said, Do not love the world or the things that in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the first sentence. And then the second sentence, for all that is in the world. And then he labels a few things that are in the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. And you see in those three descriptors that those three things are in our hearts. Desires is in our heart, desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes, that begins in our hearts. Pride begins in our hearts, pride of life. He says these things are not from the Father, but is from the world. And so the place where you put the accent mark when it comes to worldliness is on our hearts, not in the culture. And so you could separate from the culture. You could build a platform and climb on top of that platform and how people feed you for years because you're separating from the world. And all you're going to discover at the end of that process is that worldliness was in your heart all along. Now James gives us more clarity on this idea of worldliness in chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. He says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, what John was talking about, our desires. We are tempted when we are lured by what is inside our hearts, meaning if we didn't have the desire for anything out in the culture, whatever that thing may be, if we don't desire it, then it's okay to be near it because we just don't have a desire for it. James went on to say in his second sentence in Verses 14 and 15, he said, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully gone, grown, brings forth death. In the King James Bible, uh, the word desire is lust, and so I call this my LSD passage. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. LSD. De- so this is the daisy chain. This is the, the formula, desire, to sin, to death. But the beginning point, the point of departure, is desire. And that is important for us to understand, because if you draw a line in the sand and say, worldliness is over there, uh, you're going to be frustrated, and you you may be self-deceived, and And I've seen some folks to where they even rationalize the sin that they do uh, as a way of separating from the world. And they refuse to recognize that the sin is in their heart all along. And so worldliness begins in the heart. And so here's the caveat. Here's the warning. We want to enter the world. But if you like what is in the world, meaning you desire it, it's in your heart then you need to separate from that thing. Let me use the illustration of alcohol. If you desire alcohol, alcohol in itself is not a problem. There's a lot of people that drink alcohol moderately, and that is not a problem. It doesn't have to be an issue unless it's a conscience issue. There's two reasons that it would be a problem. One, it would be a conscience issue because you've been trained that drinking alcohol is a sin. And then two, you desire it and you're addicted to it. And so if you desire something, then you want to separate from it, something that is sinful. You want to, if it's a sinful desire, you want to separate from it. But apart from that, you want to engage the culture. And so point number one, becoming like them. You won't become like them if you have enough of self-awareness to know what your own lusts are, what your own desires are. And so having self-awareness, and then also having accountability in your life. Having someone in your life that you can talk to honestly and appropriately, transparently, and maybe even courageously, and let them know what your temptations are. And so as you engage the culture, you have two lifelines attached to you to pull you out. One is self-awareness about your own sinful desires, and then two, you have someone who knows you very well who can hold you accountable and then you go into the world, stay away from those things that tempt you, and tell people about Christ. Point number one, becoming like them. Uh, you won't. You don't have to. Point number two, who has authority? I talked about this with the big idea with the opening of this webinar, what this webinar is about. The culture of has an authority. They have a worldview. They have a way of seeing life, and they want you to adopt their worldview. Of course, we have a worldview as well. We have a way of seeing, perceiving life, and we want to go to them, and we want them to adopt our worldview. And so there is a battle for authority. And so in this part of the webinar, I want to dig just a little bit into this idea of authority, who has authority, why this is important, why there are competing authorities and what we can do about it. And so point number one, or sub-point number one under who has authority, in Genesis three, it's at that juncture in human history where the second authority showed up, the second presupposition, the second worldview. And since Genesis three, six, when Satan gave different advice, became another authority over God's authority. From that point forward, there's been these competing worldviews, and that's why these social evangelists, they have a perspective on life. They believe they have the solutions to the problems of the world. And they, rather than leaving you alone and just spinning in their own futility, as they have been doing for many years, now, Over the last few years, they have been hyper-aggressive. They're not going to leave you alone. Like Satan coming to Adam and Eve, they're coming to you, and they're coming to me, and they want us to adopt their worldview, how they see life. And what I'm talking about here is a presupposition. They want us to adopt their presupposition. What is a presupposition? Presupposition. A presupposition, I'll use the metaphor, of a pair of glasses. Everybody has a unique pair of glasses with unique lenses. And so let's say that your, lens, your lenses are colored blue. Then everything that you see in life is gonna be with a blue lens. Of course, in America, uh, the liberals are blue and the conservatives are red. And so the liberals see everything through a blue lens. And so it doesn't matter what it is. They see money, they see food, they see people, they see the government, they see schools, they see entertainment, they see everything through a blue lens. Well, the conservatives in the states, they have red lenses. And so they see every, they see all the same things. They see the exact same things but because they have a different presupposition, a different colored lens, they see it differently, and there's competition, there's a tug of war between which worldview or which presupposition will win. Now, for the Christian, There is not a a red or blue lens. There is a bibliocentric lens. It's the purest of the pure. It's the rightest of the right. And so the big idea is if a person can build your presuppositional filter through which you see and interpret life, then they will control you. And that's what they're trying to do. They're saying it's this way, and they want you to see it that way. They want your lens to be a particular way, their way, a blue lens. And if they can convince you, if they can evangelize you to see it their way, then they will control you. Now, we, what we want to do with a bibliocentric presupposition is we want to see it God's way, the Bible's way. It's not because we're trying to control them, not at all. We want them to, we want them to have freedom like they have never understood or benefited from in their entire lives. If the sun sets them free, they will be free Indeed, there are benefits to a bibliocentric presupposition, not only in how you interpret life, but what it does to your soul and, of course, the eternal benefit of heaven. Now, let me illustrate this idea of presuppositional truth. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, I have a blank screen right now. And I want to build a chart for you. And I want to, I'm going to build two word clouds. One word cloud will be for the person who has a bibliocentric uh, presupposition. And then the other word cloud would be for the person who does not. And so this is a presuppositional chart. And the big idea is that there are no neutral facts. This is an expression that came from Cornelius Van Til, who practiced and taught presuppositional apologetics. Now, what I mean by no neutral facts, I mean there are no neutral interpretive facts. And so when you look at something, you look at a fact In this case, I'm going to say that we're going to look at an apple. And so a Christian with a Christian worldview will look at an apple. That apple's not neutral because he's looking through a bibliocentric lens. And then an unregenerate person can look at the exact same apple, but he will see it through a different lens. And so I want to walk through presuppositional truth because it's important that we understand it because the culture has a way of interpreting life, and so do we, and that is why there is a battle. And so the Christian worldview, the Christian lens, standing on truth. The unregenerate, unregenerate worldview, they reject God's truth, they're standing on lies. Automatically, the point of departure is in two radically different places. The Christian Worldview, standing on truth, that person is a believer. The cultural worldview, standing on lies, of course they are a non-believer. Some of the things that a Christian would believe because they're standing on truth, for example, is creationism. The non-believer would believe in evolution. He would reject creationism, but he can't live in a vacuum. He has to come up with something, and so they create this thing called Evolution and all of that becomes part of how they see and interpret life. When it comes to sanctification and how people change, well, through a bibliocentric lens, we would believe in disciple making, disciplers, disciplees, that change comes that way as we disciple one another with God's truth. Well, the unbeliever, they will have a different kind of Bible. It is the DSM, at this point, it's the DSM-5, and they will be beholden to psychology, and they will see change happening that way through these varied psychological um, methods and mandates and practices. Also, the Christian, in his worldview, he will be God-centered, and of course, a non-Christian worldview would be self-centered or man-centered, if you prefer. Uh, we We would believe in a Redeemer. And when you believe in a Redeemer, you can actually get into transformation, real change. They don't have a Redeemer, so there can't be true transformation. They have self-help, and so they will continue to explore the various self-help methods in an effort to try to bring change, which they can never bring to fruition uh, because that worldview doesn't bring transformation, which leads to the last point. Because we have a Redeemer, we can change. We can become a new creation, as Paul said to the Corinthians. The old person goes away. The new person uh, comes to us now, as he also told the Ephesians in chapter 4, the church at Ephesus. Well, the the world the unregenerate person they can only find relief all they can do is kick the can down the road because they have no redeemer there cannot be true transformation they can only go through self-help mechanisms that brings temporary relief and then they just keep rebooting keep kicking the can down the road now let's come back to my apple uh, we're having uh, what we had originally was two people staring at the fact the fact is the ample, but the ample is not neutral because they're looking through an interpretive filter. The bibliocentric filter says to God be the glory when he looks at the fact when he looks at the apple. And then the unregenerate person, he will say to each his own. As he stares at the apple, he will not give God glory. He believes in a survival of the fittest. And so he will snatch the apple from the believer because he is stronger and he will eat the apple. And so these two word clouds that you see stacked up here just gives you an idea. And you can add many, many more words to each side of the screen to talk about that, that facts are not neutral in the sense that we bring an interpretation to them, and that is the culture war. The culture believes in their authority, and we believe in ours. And so we want to make sure that the authority that we are beholding to is a bibliocentric one. And so we want to take the Windex, and we want to spray our lenses and make them as pure as and clean as we possibly can we want to be students of god's word we want to be sound exegetes, and we want to be very efficient and and comprehensive in how we apply God's Word to our lives, because we need to be always reforming. Progressive sanctification implies this idea of ever-changing. Now, why is that important? Well, the reason that is important is because we were all beholding to that other authority once upon a time. Everybody who comes into the world is born under the cultural presupposition, meaning an anti-Christ worldview, an anti-Bible worldview. We're born totally depraved. At some point in time, god regenerates many of us we become born again and so we start adopting we adopt and start growing and maturing in this other worldview and we want to keep on doing that because we have been shaped adversely by the world initially by adam by being born totally depraved but then we also become what people what people have told us that we are We are what people tell us. And what I mean by that, as far as shaping our presuppositional filter, our lenses, the first 10 to 12 years of your life is a cementing time, is a formative time. It is a shaping time. And the things that have happened to you and the words that have been said to you, they begin to convince you of a certain perspective on life, and you want to examine those. I call these uh, the early shaping influences in a person's life. And so we want to make sure that we examine these early authorities in our life, primarily our parents and our teachers. they, They teach us. They tell us how things are and as adults. We want to evaluate those things in accordance to God's Word, and all of us have come to that place as as Christians, as we read God's Word, we realize that we have been believing lies, and those lies have shaped how we thought about all sorts of things, and so we want to continue to grow in the purity of God's Word, that we want our presupposition, that our lens to get clearer and clearer, meaning more bibliocentric and more more and more bibliocentric. Well, the culture has their authority as well, as I've been saying, and you have to understand that. Because when you engage the culture, as you are becoming more pure in how you see life, as you continue to submit to truth, you have to recognize that the culture is not you. They don't think like you. They don't hold to your facts. They hold to their own. They have their own way of processing things. They have their own presupposition. And so as you engage them, you want to understand this. And then you can engage them, and you can bring clarity. And you can become one of those authorities in their lives as you engage them, as the Spirit of God works through you and begins to impact their lives. And so there is this idea of authority. There is a culture war, and this is the hinge point. They want their authority to win the day. They want to convince you of their worldview and their perspectives and their definitions and their interpretations of life. And you want to go into the culture and do the same thing from your perspective. And so point number two, who has authority? Proverbs says it this way, that there is a way that seems right to a man But its end is the way of death. And I trust that this verse is motivating for you, that because you have a presuppositional lens that is being purified each day by God's Word, that you want to take that light and you want to set it on a hill, and you want them to see that there is another authority, and it's a loving and merciful and grace-filled authority. And you want to ask God to give you the words that you need so that you can go and talk to them and share your truth with them, hoping that you can dismantle their presupposition, that you can put the Windex on their lenses so they can see clearly. Because there's a right, there's a way that seems right, but the end for them is not going to be good. Now, I'm going to move on to point number three, and I want to give you 10 tips for practically engaging the culture. And these will be hugely beneficial, and they will be practical. But before I do that, I do want to just let you know that you're watching this webinar freely, and I thank God that you can do that. But I do want you to know that there is nothing that is free. Everything comes with a cost, and there are people that underwrite our ministry financially. Now without putting anyone on a guilt trip, because I know that uh, some people can't support a ministry like this. and That is fine. Uh, The way that you can support this ministry, if you can't financially, is by sharing this video, by sharing our resources, telling people about this free ministry that they can jump on, our forums. We have uh, well over 1500 podcasts. We have well over 1200 articles. We have, I don't know how many videos we have. We have hundreds and hundreds of videos and interactive forums and graphics, thousands of graphics. And so it is a sanctification center. And the way that you can support us, there's two. One, share our resources, tell people far and wide. And then another, the second way, is that you can write reviews of uh, the podcast you listen to uh, you can write reviews on platforms uh, so that it will help us algorithmic the algorithmically I think I said that correctly write a review and those two things is a wonderful way to support and I would find no greater joy if that's if that's what you did others of you are able to support us financially And we cannot provide these resources uh, without the underwriting of people donating to our ministry. And so if you can do that monthly or annually or a one-time donation, please uh, pray about it, what God would have you to do and support us. It is the way to support our team. There's more than 10 of us that are working together and we have a lot of contractors and peripherals and it takes a lot to operate this ministry month to month. And we do that because of financial support. That's how we function. We give our stuff away. And so thank you so much for considering it. Pray about it. And if you have any questions about that, uh, please just hit the support link or the live chat feature uh, on our website. And we'll be glad to talk to you. It's not a robot. It's a real person. And so either send us an email or jump on live chat. Our phone number is also on the website where you can call. And we'd love to talk to you about this. Thank you so much. All right, the outline is becoming like them. Point number two, who has authority? And then point number three, tips for engagement. I want to walk through 10 tips. Number one, they're not in any particular order, but they're all of them, all of them are important. Number one is called a calm friend. Tip one, here it is. If you think you were harsh at any point, when you were engaging the culture, engaging another person. Run it by a friend who will speak the truth to you. The friend you choose cannot be frustrated at the culture because they won't see it either. They may even urge you to turn up the flame. I want us to be honest with how we engage uh, other people, whether it's engaging the culture, which is the context of this webinar here, or just engaging anyone, a family member or a church friend. I have done this in counseling for years. There have been times in counseling where I sensed I was harsh uh, with the counselee, and I have asked them, uh, did that come across as harsh to you? Sometimes I knew it. Other times I didn't sense anything, but I would ask that question anyway, uh, because I do want to always carry a modicum of self-suspicion without... Being fear-centered, I, I, I want to give at least a courtesy nod to total depravity, to my Adamic, Adamic tendencies, and so I want to have just a, a skosh of self-suspicion, and so many times I would ask a counselee, uh, did that come across harsh to you, and please Answer the question. And sometimes they say, well, yeah, that did come across a little bit harsh, and I asked them to forgive me. I confessed it and asked for forgiveness. And when you're engaging the culture, it probably could be a stronger temptation for many of us. And so you want to have a calm friend, not just calm, but also courageous, uh, not somebody that's just going to rubber stamp you or somebody that struggles with fear of man. Uh, Perhaps you have been in these uh, social media groups uh, to where it's just a toxic environment. They are people that won't see it uh, biblically uh, because they're stirred up as well. And I would appeal to you to not even get into those toxic environments, but they will urge you to turn up the flame. And once you do that, it just continues to accelerate, and then we just become like the culture that's doing these things. Uh, riots that they call protests. Uh, we're just turning up the flame. But who is that calm friend in your life who has courage, one, and then they have the competence, uh, they can see. Uh, Then they have the compassion, they won't club you with it, and they will speak to you with clarity, that's your fourth C. And so having a calm friend that you can bounce things off of, or maybe if you posted something on a social media platform, have them to read it. Have someone review what you put on social media uh, to get their perspective on it. Tip number one, have a calm friend. Tip number two, move on. If you and others do not see what you said as harsh, just move on. Don't bog your, do not bog yourself down in woulda, shoulda, coulda. Be humble. Do the work of self-assessment. But if you and others affirm your biblical attitudes, move on. You might not have said it perfectly. You probably leave the, the conversation you know, regretting or thinking through. We all have that tendency of replaying the tape, and we can get bogged down in woulda, shoulda, coulda. Well, what you want to do is talk to your calm friend and get their assessment on the situation. Tip number two, if you and others do not see what you said was harsh or necessary for you to go back to that person, move on. Tip number three, blowback. Recognize that speaking up divides friends and family. You see, there is an intuitive reason that folks don't speak out. It's because they know it will cause blowback. This fear is why we self-censor. Of course, there are other Christians who don't care and they speak without a bibliocentric filter. And so there are basically two kinds of Christians here. Those, there's two ditches here for people to jump into. One ditch, we jump in the self-censoring ditch, and then the other ditch is we're swinging clubs and we have no bibliocentric filter, and you see them. This goes back to the toxic environment that I was talking about on social media platforms, but it also happens in the public space as well. But we have to deal with the fear of man issues, uh, the fear that we carry in ourselves. Being fearful is normal by the way. That is a normal disposition of the heart. We saw it in the early pages of, of the Bible in Genesis 3, 6 and following. As soon as Adam and Eve uh, submitted to the other authority, then there were issues that began to collect around their heart, like shame and, and guilt and fear. That would be three Well, that's how we came into the world, and even though we are regenerated, we bring Adamic packaging into our Christian faith, and this is what Paul was saying in Ephesians 4, starting at verse number 22. Put off that old person. Renew your mind. Put on a different kind of person, and so we have to recognize that we do have inherent fear, and when there is this challenge like what I'm making here to stand up and speak out Fear can really rise up and cause you to sit down and to self-censor, and so we want to walk through our inhibitions and deal with that honestly. This is also another point to where you where you need a friend that you can engage and interact with. Now, if you're on the other side of the spectrum, you're in the other ditch with the club, and you have no bibliocentric filter, you don't care about blowback— because you're an antagonist, well, you need a friend as well, because there is a way of communicating with other people. And when we do that, there will be blowback. You cannot speak the truth of God as you understand it and expect that it will not ruffle feathers. Now, that's not your goal. That's not your desire at all. But the temptation for most of us, we're not the mean-spirited, harsh people. I think most of us are not that way. I think most of us succumb to the temptation of fear, fear of man, worry, anxiety, and we choose to self-censor because we don't want to Uh, We don't want to stir people up. So tip number three, blowback. It is going to happen. It's not a wish. It's not a prayer. It's just a reality that it's going to happen. We recognize it. Deal with our fear issues. Speak into the situation. Speak to the other person with humility and the clarity of God's word. Tip number four flows out of that, of blowback. Tip number four is called consequences you will lose friends, you'll lose friends, you'll lose family members, you'll be unfriended on social media, and then you'll lose time and space friends as well. Some of them will be your family members because of the biblical positions that you take. Now, I do want to appeal to you, take your biblical positions humbly, even hold your biblical positions loosely, The only thing that we grip is the gospel, and it is non-negotiable. If anybody preaches another gospel, Paul had the harshest of words for them, that the gospel cannot be defiled. We do not hold it loosely. We hold it tenaciously. But other biblical positions that we have, we do want to hold humbly and loosely because we can be wrong. And so with that said, though, we have to recognize, I mean, we, even though we hold it loosely and humbly, we have to speak the truth in accordance to how we understand it. And if you do it out of a heart of humility, at least the messaging will go out the right way. And then if you're truly right, well, it could cause not just blowback but significant consequences that you can lose friends. But what you don't want to do is to go out into the future and assume what will happen will happen, and then speak or don't speak according to those assumed outcomes. And this happens too often. People rehearse, they over-rehearse, they rehearse too much about how this conversation is going to go, particularly with a family member, and they know, they already sense it's going to be blowback, so fear is already activated in their hearts, and so they want to think through the consequences, tip number four here, knowing that there could be consequences, and so they go out into the future and try to predict it or assume what would be happening. We must believe what we believe, and we must share it with compassion and conviction, and we have to trust God for the outcomes. In Matthew 6:34, Jesus said that we should not worry about tomorrow. James said in chapter 4 that it's actually arrogant to worry about tomorrow because no person knows what will happen tomorrow. And so we want to guard our minds about going out into the future and predicting what is gonna happen. We may or may not be right. What we have to do is to believe what we believe, holding it humbly and loosely, sharing it with compassion and conviction while trusting God for the outcomes. Tip number four is consequences. Tip number five is perseverance. There is a way to speak out, and we cannot let past failure or current fear keep us from sharing Jesus to the world. We can get bogged down in the woulda, shoulda, coulda, Uh, Because of past failures, maybe we did say it wrong. Maybe we hurt some people by the words that we used. Maybe we were wrong in our positions. There are things that I believed shortly after God regenerated me that I do not believe any longer, and because of that, that's multiple decades ago, if the Lord chooses to let me live for a couple more decades— I know that when I get out there, I'm going to believe differently than I do today. And so I'm sure that you have said things that you have regretted. Maybe it's because you believed it. You truly believed it at that time, but now you realize that you have a different belief. You have matured in your understanding of Scripture, or perhaps you said it in a sinful way. Nevertheless, it was a past failure. We cannot let those past failures stop us or current fear. We have to keep on sharing Christ to the world. I'm talking about perseverance, tip number five. Christ would not want any Christian to take their light from the hill or to dilute the salt they should be sharing. There is persevering grace, for the obligation to go into the world. And we have to tap into that grace. We must ask God to give us persevering grace. We cannot make this about us. We can become so self-centered because, and what I mean by that, is that we're so self-focused on the past. Past failure or current fear is a self-focused, it is an egocentric way of looking at our lives, and that will inhibit us from obeying Christ. So tip number five, perseverance. Tip number six, maturity. Communicating without snarkiness, or mocking, or crude language, or signs of Christian maturity. We don't wanna fall into those holes. Snarkiness, mocking, crude language, and you can add to the list. It is not wise also to get into public spats on social media. Those situations oftentimes are more about venting than redemptive initiatives. It grieves me to read some of the stuff that's written on social media. It is just cyber grumbling is what it is. People are just grumbling about how things are. It is not redemptive speech. It takes maturity to communicate God's truth in public spaces. Whether those public spaces are on the internet or you're in real time and space with an individual, and so we want to ask God to give us Christian maturity, tip number six, maturity, in how we communicate. And maybe this would be a good time to go and review what your communication, review it with a friend. Now, I have done that. With, I've done that traditionally. Historically, I've done that with email is that when I'm in a tense situation, one, I don't try to uh, do conflict resolution by email, but there's some times that you send difficult emails to uh, people, and when I've done that historically, I would have Lucia read the email before I send it, and there have been more than one occasion. There have been multiple occasions where she appealed to me not to send the email, In most of those occasions, I obeyed her, and I did not send the email. I came back a day later, and I thank God that I did not send the email. Maybe it would be good to have someone looking over your shoulder as you read your social media communication. This is one area where Christians really defame God, quite frankly. We defame God by how we communicate in social media, but we also can do that in real time and space as well. And so tip number six is maturity. Communicating without snarkiness, mocking, crude language, and you can add to the list. Tip number seven, shrouding truth. Too many Christians have a divisive edge. And this is what I was talking about earlier, with tip number six with maturity. This kind of person hurts the cause of Christ. I'm not talking about shying away from the truth, but an unmistakable attitude of smugness, arrogance, self-righteousness that shrouds the truth that our yearning Savior wants to use to call people to himself. And so here's another aspect of our communication, but I wanted to put it in an isolated tip here, tip number seven, shrouding truth. Not only are we communicating in unsavory, crass ways when we do that in the previous tip tip. But there is an effect of that, and the effect is we shroud the truth. Because when you communicate harshly or crudely or snark in a snarky way or a mocking way, when you communicate that way, then the focus is on the communication. The focus becomes on you, and the truth gets lost because it's been shrouded by the way that the truth was communicated. And so if we are overly emotive in the way that we communicate truth, if we are frustrated, if we are angry, then that self-righteousness is going to bleed out into the words that we communicate, and it will shroud the truth of Christ. The cause of Christ will be damaged. And they won't walk away thinking about the truth that you shared with them, but they will think about The words that you use, the method that you use for communicating that truth, tip number seven, shrouding the truth. Tip number eight, do not retreat. We must determine that we will speak out, recognizing that we're going to do it imperfectly. I've talked about that in several different ways as I've been moving through these tips. We must admit when we're wrong, but we cannot back down from what we know to be true. You don't have to be arrogant, don't have to use communicate in the way that I have been talking in the past two tips, but we cannot retreat, understanding that our communication will be imperfect. I mean, how can imperfect people communicate any other way but imperfectly? I'm not making a case for doing that. That's what the previous tips were all about. But we have to recognize that we will falter at times. We're going to do it not the best way, but we can admit that. The Bible word is confession. We confess that. We begin acting out a process of retreating repentance when we're wrong, but we cannot back down. This perspective was the attitude of all the martyrs who have gone before us. This perspective was the attitude of Christ. They did not back down. Tip number eight, do not retreat. The most significant issue for today's Christian is that we've lived in the primarily unchallenged luxury of Christianity Nestled in a country that had our backs. That day has passed, and now we are exposed. We are vulnerable. We are afraid. We are censored, and we are self censored. This is where we live today. And so we want to step out there with courage, holding truth humbly, planning on not retreating. We're persevering by the grace of God, and we're not getting in the way of the communication by communicating in, in an awful way. Tip number nine, study others. There are many folks in the culture speaking out in ways that we should emulate. It has been an interesting study for me to listen and watch people who do not follow Christ, they're unbelievers, admitted unbelievers, but they have civil conversations with people who believe differently from them. It is a phenomenal thing. I was listening to a debate just this morning uh, where a a person who holds conservative values was debating a person who holds non-conservative values and it was civil discourse. And I think some of us can take our cues from those who do not follow Christ. These people, they're non-Christians. They do not believe as we do. But they are not just speaking the truth in a civil way, but they are laying their reputations, their livelihoods, and even their safety on the line for the sake of souls who are making life-altering mistakes. I have followed several people. Just yesterday, I was reading the story of a professor or Chicago University, uh, who was canceled. He had a lecture at MIT, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and he had a lecture that was canceled. And the reason it was canceled is because he would not acquiesce. Uh, He would not give in to the Twitter mob that was uh, trying to cancel him or trying to get him to change his perspective and to join them. He would not do it. And because he would not do it, he lost a prestigious lecture at MIT. There have been others, and perhaps you have read, of non-Christian people who have given up their professorship, they have given up their teaching position in high schools, they have given up other things. And so I would encourage you uh, to do that. Study others, even those who do not name the name of Christ. Because there are folks who are speaking in our culture, and quite honestly, we can learn from them. We can emulate them because they're doing it well. And unfortunately and sadly and maybe regrettably, they're doing it better than some of us. And they are losing a lot. And I have appreciated and respected and even reached out to some and thanked them for taking a position that they're taking because of the values that they believe and though we do, we're different, we believe differently when it comes to Christ. Uh, they're doing something and they're doing it quite well. So, tip number nine study others. And then finally, tip number 10 choose context. You choose the medium where you talk to folks and you have rules for engagement. For example, I don't talk to anybody on social media. I don't engage anybody on social media. Uh, We have a standing policy. I'll talk to anybody, never turn anybody away, but it will happen on our free and private forums on our website. We choose the medium. I'm not gonna get into a spat with anybody at all, never on social media. And people have tried to lure me into those spats. I don't do it. And then many times we just delete those uh, snarky and unkind comments. Uh, but you choose the medium where you're going to talk. Meeting privately is almost always the best course of action. Talking on public platforms are at least desirable, and I honestly don't understand. I don't understand why people are just that foolish that they get in those conversations. It's not redemptive. It doesn't move the cause of Christ forward. Most of the time, it's just two people venting at each other. If you can separate the person from the group— you can have a personal conversation with them, and that is key. When you can talk to a person privately, rather than within a mob, and then and social media, by the way, uh, is a mob mentality because there's other people that are listening in, and many times they will chime in. So, tip number ten: you choose. The context. Let me wrap up this webinar by asking a couple of call-to-action questions. I want you to apply these things. I trust the Spirit of God has been illuminating your mind all along the way, and there are things that you have already picked up that you want to address, that you want to change, that you want to talk to other people about. Question number one is, what has God called you to do? Uh, In this area, I'm talking about cultural engagement. What has God called you to do? Perhaps as you have been listening to this, uh, it's already been nailed. Uh, The Spirit of God has already said, this is what you need to do. Well, James says that if you know to do good and you don't do it, it will be Sin to you. And enough said on that. But what has God called you to do? Now, perhaps there is something that you can create. Maybe there's a blog post that you need to start a blog, start a podcast. Maybe you need to take a teaching position. Maybe you need to get more engaged at your local church. Maybe you need to stand up uh, at the workplace. Maybe there's other things. But what has God called you to do in the area of cultural engagement? And then the follow up question is, how are you? Stepping into fulfilling that calling. Question number two How much does the fear of blowback motivate you to self censor? Now, can you be, will you be honest about that question? Because I struggle with it every time that I are moving toward a potentially or a confrontive conversation. I know that it can intensify, that the blowback can be strong, and there can be consequences, and many times that can cause me to self-censor, or it can cause me to procrastinate, that I don't just step into it and, and move forward with what I know to do. And so would you honestly uh, answer that question and maybe talk it through with a friend? How much does the fear of blowback motivate you to self-censor? And then a follow-up, if this is true of you, what will you do to change? What is your plan? Who is going to help you? Would you think through a specific plan, practical plan, that will help you to overcome fear, uh, to think through the consequences? And I know sometimes consequences are not just spiritual in in nature where you're breaking a relationship and But but there's financial consequences involved. There could be vocational consequences involved. As I was talking earlier about profs and teachers and other folks who have lost either speaking engagements or jobs uh, because of the fear of blowback. And so it's not necessarily just someone yelling at you. There can be other types of consequences, and so you need to think through that. It is a tense moment for all of us, and we have to deal with the option to speak or not to speak. But what I'm appealing you to do and applying to my own self is that we have to take the gospel forward, the Great Commission. We want to inculcate our worldview in the minds of anyone that would listen to us, knowing that there will be blowback, there will be consequences. Uh, that there'll be tense moments when we do that. The big idea in this webinar is there is a full-on culture war as social evangelists try to persuade, intimidate, censor, influence anyone to their worldview. It's no longer acceptable for conservatives to sit on the sidelines siloing, hoping for a better day. Silo Christianity is when believers draw lines that separate themselves from those in the culture who need the gospel they critique the other side but they do not engage them jesus has called us you and me to go and make disciples thank you so much for watching this webinar the title of it is engaging the culture bringing jesus to the world if you have any questions about this please remember that we have we are a dialogue ministry and we have community forums on our website, and you're welcome to jump on them and ask whatever question you wish pertaining to this or, again, any other thing. We would love to serve you, so let us know. If you don't mind, would you share this webinar uh, with a friend? Tell them about it. If you're listening through the podcast, then share the podcast uh, with someone as well, and encourage them to come to our ministry so they can benefit from all of these wonderful resources, um, these Christocentric, bibliocentric resources. I am Rick Thomas. I'm very glad that you are here. Thank you so much for watching the webinar. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.